what do they call that? Like the wicking technology or yeah. whatever. So I ended up with the uh, holiday spirit shirts. I like it. Yeah. Don't stop believing. It's a great shirt. Yeah. I would have ripped the sleeves off. I'm getting to it. Good. Good. Yeah. Been busy. Maestro. Don't stop de-sleeving. <laughs> <laughs> you ever get the feeling that everything in America is completely Jesus, fucked up? <laughs> Someone brought their egg in. You know that feeling that the whole country is like one inch away from saying, that's it. Forget it. Let's see. Hey, Mr. Uh, now look. Here's a house full of bees. You think the honey badger cares? It doesn't give a shit. Listen, let's get one thing straight. Price is right. Guns don't kill people. I think. Wow. Thanks for that, man. Oh, thanks for that. I'm mistaken. I'm That's a phenomenal song. Yeah. Isn't it odd to think about? So that's the cult, Firewoman. Mm-hmm. Yep. Isn't, uh, what's that album called? Uh, Sonic Temple, I believe. That sounds right. Something like that. Um, their first album, Electric, is one of my favorite albums of all time. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. They're a band that I never, I'd always kind of heard in the background and never really gotten into. Mm-hmm. And then started listening to him and it's just like, wow, what a that phenomenal whole really band. Good. Yeah. Isn't it odd to think, because that came out in the early 90s, right? I believe. Yeah. And isn't it odd to think about when you hear a song like that, that these days there's not too many just like straight up like rock bands. Right. It's just kind of not a thing right now. I guess maybe, maybe the Foo Fighters. Uh I just saw Buck Johnson tweeted something about that that was kind of interesting. And I didn't, I don't know if I got the full context of it. <laughs> when you said that, my mind went to Jack Johnson. I was like, why is he bringing this up? Right now? <laughs> no, uh, the great Buck Johnson podcaster said, Gen X grew up through the impact of bands like Motley Crue, NWA, GNR, Nirvana, Ramones, Motorhead, Agnostic Front, Bob Marley, Kiss, Bad Brains, Beastie Boys, and Run DMC. That's it's mostly a pretty flawless list right there. It's not that they were all great, but there's definitely some significance in all of this. I've still not even grasped it yet. And I don't know exactly what he was talking about, what the context of that was uh, fully, but... Um, if you do compare that with today, what mm-hmm. kids are listening to, and it's like, are they even <laughs> they officially old? Is what that means. Totally, totally. Or what kids were listening to, what our parents were listening to. Yeah. And to me, that all sounds kind of like bullshit now. Yeah. I, all I can think of is the Beatles when I, when I have that, you know, thought of what did my parents listen to? And it's like, I had to be the Beatles, even though my mom didn't listen to the Beatles and my dad hates the Beatles like we do. He's a Rolling Stones uh, man. The Beatles, John Lennon, Jake, you fan? <clears throat> Yesterday was the celebration of his passing. 
actually, the anniversary. Mm, celebration? <laughs> Not a fan. So uh, it's funny. It's, I'm glad you uh, brought funny that Guns N' Roses <laughs> is on that list because Matt Storm, the drummer for that played uh, drums on Sonic Temple, he went on to join uh, Guns N' Roses really? for the Use Your Illusion albums. So, yeah, I thought that uh, the cult was earlier than the early 90s. They were. Electric came out in the 80s. Okay. And then that album is phenomenal because, like, at that time, you, you're sh- I'm sure you're familiar with a uh, producer, Rick Rubin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he produced this kind of... this this kind of spread of albums and he was all over the place, but they like producer wise produced the Beastie Boys, didn't uh, he? Beastie Boys, uh, run DMC, public enemy slayer, the cult, the first Danzig album, like just some of the greatest albums ever made. And it was the same guy. And then, so that's why, uh, on it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. The public enemy album, uh, the best song that public enemy ever did. In my opinion is she watched channel zero, which is the, Slayer riff from Angel of Death, and he just lifted that because he also produced that album. Yeah, put it on the Public Enemy album. It's like one of the most powerful songs I've ever heard. Cool. Uh, I've always thought Danzig and the Cult had a similar kind of sound. Now you know why. I guess so. Yeah, that first Danzig album, same thing. That Cold album, the Danzig album, they kind of came out right at the same time. They're both uh, the Cold album was a little bit before that, but both like flawless albums, beginning to uh, finish. Jake, will you send me that picture you just pulled up on the screen? I'm going to use that for the <laughs> album art for this episode. <laughs> There's a picture of a woman crawling out of the ocean with a fish in her mouth. She's in a bikini. Uh, Quite young and attractive, I would say. Fish in her mouth, and it says, I'm not like other girls. We are making a t-shirt out of that. It's <laughs> <That's> pretty amazing. <laughs> Can I order that without the sleeves, by any chance? <laughs> All right, so I started a list of uh, top 10 least favorite songs. This will be good. Now, there's criteria to this, so okay. I want you guys to chime in. I only got so, five on the list so Okay, far. so you're bringing this up, and immediately a couple songs popped in my head. I'm going to see if there's any overlap here. Okay, well, you have to, the criteria counts here. I'm guessing there's definitely one that you and I both have in common. I would think so. Yeah. Uh, no cover songs allowed. Okay. This. So if you hate the song... I got a fast car, or he's got a fast, you got a, whatever, <laughs> the fucking Tracy Chapman song. They, them got a fast car. <laughs> then, <laughs> uh, even though the cover song that I do have one is cover going song on my list right now is worse than that, it doesn't count. You can't take cover song. It's easy to make the, okay, I'll, I'll let, let you, the arm wrestle over okay, this. Okay, I'll, right. I'll let you say it, but these are my criteria okay. for worst songs ever. It's too easy to come up with a cover song, but we'll see. Okay. Maybe gotcha. we can make an exception. Yeah. And it has to be minimum 10 years old. Okay. All right. <clears throat> All right. So far, I got five on the list. Someone look up. How old is Baby Shark? <laughs> that's in there. <laughs> um, that song wouldn't make my list. Really? Uh-uh. There's something... I don't think that's a song. Yeah, I don't think... It's it, the, it doesn't meet the criteria. Yeah. Somehow. There's something else about that. Hold on one second. It's like the Legionnaire's disease of music. Renee. Yes, sir. What's up? Uh, shower, master shower drain. Uh huh. Be in the center drain. Yeah, let's put it in the center. Yes, put it in the center. Yeah. You. Okay. Talk to you later. Let's talk. Bye. Uh, Was that English? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got. Anywhere you go. I don't know if that's the name Jim, of the song. Jim Blossoms. Anywhere you go, I'll follow you. To shut the. F- <laughs> Pretty horrific. Slit my wrist. This is also known as a slit my wrist list. 
That Santana song with Rob Thomas? Yeah, definite, definite contender. How does that... When you brought that up, how does let's that forget out? about it. Oh, God. I was like, that is Ugh. the... Like, when, when I hear that song, I envision the upscale white couple from Marin. Like, ah, we just like some spicy Ugh. rock and roll. Paul James. Hey, what's All up, right? buddy? What's going on? Paul is in the house now. <laughs> Talking about the uh, worst songs of all time. I think those headphones might be plugged in over there. <laughs> you might want to put them on after the segment, actually, come to think of it. Let's get you on the internet for all eternity. <laughs> uh, yeah, that song makes me want to just turn the wheel right into oncoming traffic. It's pretty terrible. Um, the Tracy Chapman song that I mentioned earlier, Fast Car. Fast Car, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that's one, I think, the cover for me. Even though I like, uh, who, who, who does the cover? Oh, uh, Luke man. Combs. Luke Combs, yep. Yeah, Ugh. I like Luke Combs. But I man, do too, I, that but cover, he I should need... be shot for making that cover. Yeah. Um, let's, let's dial down the yeah, rhetoric yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit. It was, it was decent at first, okay? But, you know, they killed it. Played way too many times. Wow. <laughs> okay, I'm in between you guys. I'm just saying he doesn't need to be shot <laughs> for covering a song. <laughs> Hold on. Let's just let the audience decide here. I'm going to pull this up. I can't get enough of that picture. It's amazing. All right. Dude, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> this is fucking awful. Are you kidding me? All right. Uh, uh, train. Train. The band. Oh, see, so I, I struggled with. I can't. I can't talk shit about train. That San Francisco song. I don't even know. That Save song. me San Francisco. I don't know that song. Oh, I probably really? recognize it. You like Train? I don't like Train, but the singer is an amazing, wonderful human being. I can separate the artist from the art. He has dedicated his life to a uh, medical issue. Yeah, that very much uh, affects my family. So fair enough. Uh, I think the remix to Ignition is one of the greatest songs ever written. Even though R. Kelly probably deserves to be put in a wood shredder. Wait, is that the closet one? No, trapped in the closet. Which is the one that's, that's like 20 minutes long. opera? <laughs> <laughs> Did you just come over that? No, I think Buzz did. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> Jeez, we got a strong meme game coming on here. Which one is that? My only problem with women breastfeeding in public is they never wink back. <laughs> a picture of a woman breastfeeding. That's funny. Um, it's not trapped in the closet. Anyways, back to the list. Okay, go ahead. Uh, and then uh, the the last one I got on the list, uh, and this list is you know has to be limited to ten. So, okay, but it's 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 growing by the day. <laughs> hey Jude. I oh jeez. <laughs> I would rather slam my testicles in my car door <laughs> over and over and hear that song. Uh, you are missing a pretty obvious one. Okay, let's hear it. Crocodile Rock. Oh, God. It kind of goes without saying. Uh, I would also, so this is where I take issue with not having a cover, but it is more than 10 years old. What's that? The uh, Tear It All Down, Put It Up, a Parking Lot song? I think it's... Oh, jeez. <laughs> what syphilis-ridden maniac <laughs> written wrote that song? <laughs> Like just like the picture of uh, that movie Amadeus and Mozart just like frantically like writing and being just obsessed, <laughs> just drooling at yeah. the mouth, <laughs> coming up with that chorus. Uh, is it a Joan Baez song? The put up parking lot. 
Uh, and then Counting Crows did a so cover over it. You're right. Yeah. Okay. That. Yeah. It's, but I didn't put that on my list yeah. because it was a cover and that was my rule. But because you could take a bad song and make it way worse, much the way that Luke Combs did. I just the Counting Crows cover is a little aggressive, which is where I pick issue. <laughs> Dude, any Counting Crows song <laughs> could be on this this list. Mr. Jones, oh, oh it's a classic. God, <laughs> I hate you for saying that. Jake, what do you got? Oh, it's terrible. I was going for anything <laughs> after Injustice for All by Metallica. Thank you. Although Dyer's Eve is a good song. But I remember that. I was a huge Metallica fan. That album came out. And I was like, uh, that's. I don't I, like I, that. I, I guess I'm a Slayer guy now. I don't like that music, but if it comes on in the car or at a wedding, and, at the, or at the wedding, yeah, where I can't <laughs> escape, like I'm not like trying to like jump out of the car. Right. Uh, the Saint Anger jazz right here. Oh, jeez. Saint <laughs> what Anger. What is that? Saint Anger is the only metal album made where instead of using a snare drum, they use a trash can, which is some amazing production value. Uh, hats off for uh, being great. thinking outside of the yeah. box. <laughs> I, I, I had this, I think you and I had this conversation that because growing up myself, I got into metal like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. And then it was just this constant kind of graduation to whatever was faster and heavier. So Judas Priest, uh, Iron Maiden to Metallica to Slayer, you know, then you hear Slayer, you're like, oh, they're even faster and crazier than, you know, Metallica. And then it went into like grind, like Napalm Death and Cannibal Corpse. And, yeah. and I still am on that progression, as you probably heard when you walked into my house with my sweet new stereo system that the dog fucking chewed up for some reason. And I think about this because at a certain point, when you get into like grindcore, like bands like Discordance Axis and, you know, Fuck the Facts and stuff like that, like true like French Meth Witch, one of them, mm. which is our generation's Led Zeppelin, we often say, <laughs> <laughs> is eventually we're going to tap out. Like drummers can only go so fast and you can only tune down so far. And I think about this all the time because my parents would listen to the music. I would listen, I'd be listening to Slayer and they're just like, this is like what satanic Bible are you reading up there? Like this is the most mm -hmm. extreme, like just barrage of noise I've ever heard. And I think about like, how is my kid going to rebel against that? Cause I was, I listened to my, my parents listen to good music. They listen to, you know, Led Zeppelin and the Allman brothers, like decent, you know, classic rock stuff. Yeah. But I, I often think like I, it's going to like have to go the other way. Well, if you're trying to get more satanic, then I think our <laughs> kids are going to achieve that. It's just going to come in the form of like Taylor Swift. You know, we listen to that and think like, where have I gone wrong? Yes, exactly. Right? And your, your parents thought the same thing, but your parents didn't realize like how soulless music could get. They, they hear that, that, uh, that you hear pig destroyer and they think, wow, this is insane. He's a devil worshiper, mm -hmm. but they don't realize that it could get even worse. The soul could be removed from music entirely. Right. And you end up with basically like Sam Goody as if, if Sam Goody produced every artist's work yeah, from, yeah. from here on. Or as out. we talked about with matchbox, matchbox, uh, 20, I'm like, it sounds like Hallmark made a rock band. Like that's what that music exactly. sounds like to me or the exactly. counting crows. So I think, you know, we've said before, like, how is my kid going to rebel against me? Which I is about as anti-authoritarian as you can get. Yeah. Pretty much an anarchist. It's like, the worst thing, my kid comes home and goes like, hey, I got a job with the IRS. I'm like, oh my God, 
Like, yeah. why would you do this to me? Why I, do you I hate did everything me? I did to <laughs> raise you right. Well, Dad, along I got a job those lines. With, the, with the TSA. So before we get into the, uh, the prediction, um, my son and I have been watching Mountain Men, the show, mm-hmm. lately. Either of you guys ever seen that? Never even heard of it. It's yeah. fucking awesome show. Yeah. It's about these men that live in the mountains, as you may or may not have guessed. <laughs> and they, 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 it's a rom com with uh, Hugh Grant. <laughs> they, uh, they, it tracks like four or five different mountain men, and their jobs are basically trapping mm-hmm. and make, making enough food for themselves for the winter. They live where there's no contact with civilization. A lot of them have to fly into where they are, like up in Alaska, and then they go out for you know days at a time trapping, and they, they live on just a nice edge of surviving. Some of them do pretty well. Some of them actually kind of struggle. Um, but they're super resourceful. They when they hunt, they use everything in the animal for all their stuff. They make glue out of the animal. They, I mean, just everything. They mm-hmm. literally use everything in the animal. They, the organs they use for dog food for their dogs. And, um, it was just so like inspiring. And in fact, me and junior, we get done watching it. And first thing he wants to do is go out into the front yard and start making traps. So we start bending the branches down on the trees and I actually know how to make some snare traps. And we, nice. we just leave these snare traps set up in the, in the front yard. We disarm them every night. So we don't accidentally catch a cat or something, but uh, they're functioning traps and whatnot. And he's like fully into it. Yeah. Right? I'm like, and it's awesome. Cause I feel like I'm teaching him one little skill and we're watching a TV show that makes him inspired to learn these little kind of survival skills. Yeah. On some of these episodes, people will come help in air quotes, these mountain men. Right. Cause they, uh, you know, they just need manpower sometimes. And in exchange for being taught the ways of the mountain man or a booster, like a, like a boost up a booster, like a booster shot, a shot. Yeah. What do you mean? If they need help, they fly in and give them the booster. Oh, Okay. I don't get it. I'm just throwing out ideas. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So uh, we just get inspired by this show. Yeah. And the people that go visit them don't know what they're doing. They don't know shit about surviving. Mm -hmm. My son knows more than a lot of the people that end up kind of air quotes trying to help on this show. And uh, so we're watching this show the other day and this, um, this commercial comes on. We play that. Cause it's on YouTube and it just breaks. And then here comes this fucking commercial for dildo. Well, Google. Audio uh, yeah, my bad. So it doesn't matter. So there's a, this Asian family, they have a, a, a toaster, the toaster blows up <laughs> and the man comes in, the wife sighs and the man says, don't worry, babe, I got this. Pulls out his phone and he's dildoing uh, toasters and he finds a really good deal on one and he buys it and it's delivered to the house and now it's working. And there's this scene right at the end where mm. he's so proud of himself for, for buying a new toaster, buying a new toaster <laughs> and he takes his oven mitt off and tosses it on the counter and walks off. That's like why he's you have like, a man around the house. That's right, babe. I take care of shit. <laughs> and this fucking commercial is in the middle of me watching Mountain Men. I'm just like, what the fuck? This is the worst fucking... How could you play that commercial? Anyone that sees that commercial is just like, fuck off. So, Which is great for dildo, but... Um, 
Yeah, I just thought quite that the contrast. Juxt- yeah, that juxtaposition. It made me feel so good. I was like, that is never going to be my son. You know, he's never going to feel satisfied because he bought fucking First off, so you don't wear Google. oven mitt. You grab the hot pan and burn the <laughs> shit out of yourself like a real man. It will hurt the first seven times, but eventually your hands will callous up and you'll be able to do it. And then when they deliver that toaster, punch the guy who delivered it. That's just what you do just to kind of get it off your chest. You ever watch uh, Naked and Afraid? I haven't. Uh, it's, it's like what you're describing. Is that your OnlyFans channel? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, come on. (laughs) Bunch of A games today. Yeah. Ace. Okay. Uh, naked and afraid, two people, man and a woman thrown out into the wilderness somewhere. They get to each bring like two things. So you're going to bring like a rope and a knife. They or they maybe they each get to bring one thing, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, and they have to stay there for 21 days, I think, hmm. completely naked in the wilderness with this knife or shovel or rope or combination of those three things. And one time, this guy and this gal got put in some jungle environment and they found a cave, and the cave was full of rats. And the guy was super excited, and the chick was grossed out. She ended up going home. He was excited because you could eat the rats? Dude, he is probably the only guy that actually gained weight (laughs) on this show. He's a fucking jackpot! Dude, Dude, you look like shit. Where you been? I was on that show naked and afraid. He had these deadfall traps that he would set throughout this cave, and... They were, you know, filming this thing, and all through the night, he'd be laying there, and then wham, you'd hear one fall, get up, check it, got a rat, Oof. wham, got another one. And, I mean, these are jungle cave rats. Yeah. So they're not eating garbage, exactly. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he had crazy elaborate uh, flays and skewers going. Like, there was always something over the fire. This yeah. guy had rotisserie rat going the whole time. Again, at the end of each episode, they show the makeup of each person and how they um, sort of wasted away over this 20 or however long they made it. You know, so-and-so started out at 215 pounds. (laughs) Walking out of here at 170. (laughs) Yeah. This guy. Dude, you won the show. I'm good. Yeah. (laughs) Go. Just go. They On Mountain Men, one of their favorite things to eat is squirrel. Yeah, these this dude in North Carolina named Eustace. He and his buddy get all excited to go squirrel hunting, mm-hmm. and they make their own fucking bullets and use black powder rifles to squirrel hunt. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Apparently, it's not too bad. Uh, yeah, they were saying how good it was. Yeah, they greased it up with some bear fat. There, there is a uh, meat eater episode where Steve Ranella, him and another guy, go out and they just just go hog wild on the squirrels. Yeah, and they make. Um, What's it when you wrap it up in the little uh, dough? Fajita. No, not the fajita. Oh, uh, pupusa. No, like the pig in the blanket, something like that. I don't know. Toad in the hole. Toad in the hole. Thank you. Do you have uh, Tourette's? <laughs> just trying to help. <laughs> I'm here to help, dude. You should know that. <laughs> Take it easy the soundboard is nuts. Yeah, let's practice that on our own time. Sorry. Nah, practice now. <laughs> All right. So uh, I'm going to do a prediction. Okay. It might take a minute, um, but I'm going to do that. And then uh, I don't think it's going to last the whole show. So I'm going to kick it over to you after I do this to uh, bring us home. Sure. Trying to predict the future is a discouraging hazardous occupation because the profit invariably falls between two Futures now, old man. 
podcast last week um, that I wasn't here for because I was in Arizona. Uh, I was listening just a little before I get to the actual meat of the prediction. This this has something to do with it, so I just wanted to uh, comment on a couple things that you guys talked about. And uh, I was there was a clip I had that I was like, "Fucking play the clip!" Yelling at my phone because. Uh-huh. Uh, it just would have fit in with what you're talking about. Um, you were talking about kind of the devolution of Western society, society right? Which, by the way, uh, did you ever read Tucker Carlson's book? No. Uh, Ship of Fools. No. Really good. Mm-hmm. And it turned me on to Pat Buchanan's book. I am familiar with that one. I haven't read it, but it- it's this one is uh, Churchill, Hitler, and the Unnecessary War. Yeah. Very interesting. I just started reading it. Anyways, um, so in this devolution of society uh, idea, if the psychopathic elites who are in charge of us were trying to ruin Western civilization as we know it, mm-hmm. they are. How would we know that? Uh, walking out our front door. Yeah, and you could just look at the things that they say. Yeah, they tell right. you. They tell. There's us. that too. <laughs> And so I was thinking about it, like, what would it look like if their idea of how society should be, which is, you know, another way of saying, like, if we, if they were able to ruin society, Mm -hmm. what would that end up looking like? And it would look, do you have any, like, is there a real world example you can think of of what civilization would look like if we let the psychopaths win? Uh, Are you referring to... I mean, the agendas that they propose, like Agenda 2030, everything that the WF proposes, the Trilateral Commission, uh, the kind of antiquated with the Bilderberg Group, which actually actually still exists. Yeah, I was thinking uh, we ought to do more, an episode on the more, Bilderberg Group. I, when we did this podcast, like we talked about, like, I, well, you can call them conspiracies, but they keep coming true. And like, oh, like the Bilderberg Group? I'm all, how old are you? <laughs> right. <laughs> we moved on from that. Well, turns out. <laughs> so more specifically, uh, proposing things like the 15 minute city and the slow yeah. push, gradual push to, uh, things like that. I think, um, a, if you wanted to get a glimpse, like if you wanted to go into a time machine and go see what it would look like, you could probably go to San Francisco Yeah, and just look at the just utter homelessness and vacant mm-hmm. stores and crime and, you know, just set up a, a trail cam or a light post there and watch people stealing shit from each other and beating each other up and just the awful total lawlessness and which is uh, what we talked about in the last episode, the yeah. decline of civilization yeah. exactly. or, or as far as a more just straight authoritarian subjugation model. I mean, just look at any policy Canada is proposing right now. Exactly. Or S- currently Ireland is what we were talking about. Okay. So Elon Musk went on Joe Rogan back. I don't know. Was that like two months ago? Mm-hmm. You remember that? No. Um, was he's been on a few times. Um, and he said this about why he bought Twitter. He said this. this. (laughs) I mean, this is going to sound, uh, somewhat melodramatic, but I was worried about that, that it was having a corrosive effect on civilization. He's referring to Twitter right there. Yeah. Yeah. He, and he's right. Joe asked him, why did you, why did you do it? Why'd you buy Twitter? And he's mm. like, well, it just seemed like it was piping these awful ideas into 
the homes and, and the, the, the palms of every person in Western society that yeah. has access to a phone. And he's right. Like Twitter was a force for evil because that was the intent. Yeah. It was being used to destroy Western civilization and it was working. And he was saying, just go downtown San Francisco right now. Once beautiful city has been totally ruined. Mm-hmm. And so it got me thinking like, I don't know that Elon Musk is a, uh, you know, good person is our savior. Uh, definitely not. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't, no man I'm, is my savior, right? I'm not going to put my faith in any man. And he's pretty heavy on the old transhumanism movement too, which is right. Perfectly aligns with a world, world economic forum. Right. But he's also an enemy to, um, most psychopathic elites because they're the, the thing that they can't handle is the truth. And he's, right. He seems like he's into the truth. And I started thinking about that idea. Like, is, I mean, I know he's not my savior, but is he good or is he evil? And then I was hanging out with my buddy in Arizona and he brought up uh, the fight between Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg that's supposed to happen. (laughs) And so I thought, well, okay, compare him to Mark Zuckerberg. Is Mark Zuckerberg a force for good or a force for evil? I don't, is he even human? He is clearly evil. Yeah. And I mean, you, if you dildoed, Mark Zuckerberg evil. So you know when you get an idea for the podcast and then you dildo it and so you have this idea. Yeah. And then you you have a perspective in your head on it and then you dildo it and you realize, oh my God, like of course, all of the articles that I'm going to find, you know you're going to have to scroll way down. Yeah, you're going to go way, right? way down. All of the articles are going to be the opposite of what I'm thinking. As we say, you have to find the small print eventually. Right. Oh, yeah. and I was thinking like, or read the seventh paragraph, paragraph seven. right? right? Yeah, read paragraph seven. That should be our slogan. You go down and you find um, eventually something that you that will support. And it's um, with with Zuck, it's clear that the guy is evil with Elon. It is not so clear. Mm-hmm. And when I, and in fact, I think he's a force for good. I think that what he's done as a comparative major to Mark Zuckerberg. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think compared to most people, mm-hmm. I mean, he has a lot of power and he's used it for good mm-hmm. in most ways. I can't think of many things that he's actually done. Maybe he's into transhumanism, but I could justify that within the aspect that you're bringing this up. Absolutely. Because he's a proponent of free speech, open dialogue, which is mm-hmm. the reason why he bought Twitter and if you're a psychopathic authoritarian political elite, open dialogue and basically the free market of ideas is your enemy because they rely solely on a preconceived narrative and propaganda. And what your friend was, was Twitter before Elon bought it. Mm-hmm. And he totally turned it around and shoved it in their faces. Yeah. And, you know, and there was that thing that came out recently where he told his advertisers to go fuck themselves. Yeah, there's two levels of wealth. There's fuck you money. I can do whatever I want. He's on that top echelon with fuck me money. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm, I'm going to buy yeah. it. It's, it's you're going to lose money and tell the advertisers to fuck off. Like that's fine. Yeah. And, and I, you know, it's not like he's ever going to be homeless, mm-hmm. right? He can afford to lose it right? as much as you and I probably more. So you and I could lose everything and be in really bad shape. Mm-hmm. He could go to prison, have everything stolen from him, get out of a gulag and he's still Elon Musk. Right. So, yeah, he has fuck me money. How familiar are you with the origins of Facebook? Um, 
So I just heard something about uh, Zuck. So he started uh, his thing in, in Harvard, mm-hmm. and he stole it from oh, did he? <laughs> other people in Harvard. Well, yeah. the original idea was that he would uh, <clears throat> take your picture. What was it? And then and he, he knew everything about everyone in, in Harvard, and he created this social network mm-hmm. that um, was... Do you, I guess I don't know. Do you know where the funding came from for him to take it to what it, what we know of Facebook today? No. That comes from, do you know what Incutel is? No. Incutel is the, it's essentially the venture capitalist firm of the CIA. That's where that money came from. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Incutel also funded Facebook. They also funded uh, Google Maps. Right. And Pokemon. Really? And which is all, they're all just, uh, surveillance systems. Totally. Those all were funded by Incutel. Makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And okay. they also funded uh, the Palantir Group, which is Peter Thiel, who helped uh, form uh, PayPal with Elon Musk. Is where the, his money came from in the beginning. And they also were the ones that funded the Ambrosia Group. Do you remember them? They're the ones. I don't that remember what they were. No. It was a company that takes harvests the blood from young people and sells it to rich elites. Oh yes, they think yes. it's going to make them younger. <laughs> Ambrosia, perfect name for that. Um, okay, I'm, so I'm just talking here. So uh, Elon told Joe Rogan that he would fucking he would fight Zuckerberg, mm-hmm. and they would. <clears throat> They would do it like you remember in the old like fifties car race movies, like they would race for pink slips. Right. They he would basically put Twitter on the line and Zuck would put Oh really? Facebook on the line. He wow. said, I'll do it. Fuck it. Play that second one. So I'm excited. I'm excited. We've kind of rekindled this Zuck versus Elon fire. No, I mean he's checking out. What that's uh, I don't think he's checking out. Yeah, no, he's just checking out. Do you think so? Yeah. Buck buck buck. Well, maybe buck, he's buck, listening. Buck. Suck, suck, suck. Suck, 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 suck. <laughs> I mean, how can he resist? How can yeah, he resist? How <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just go. Let's go full school schoolyard uh, taunting. What if there was like real um, consequences on the line? Like, what if you guys had a real bet? Okay, sure. Like the moderation team from X takes over moderation of Facebook if you win. No problem. Sounds good. And if he wins, vice versa. It's a fight for civilization. Yeah, a literal fight for civilization. I mean, I'll do it. Wow, heavy. Sure. And you wouldn't even train for this. No, I train a little bit. Train a little bit? Yeah. Like, how many weeks you need? I mean, I, I don't have to train. I could do it, like, tomorrow. <laughs> oh. I tried going to his house, actually. Did you really? Yeah, because he lives in Palo Alto. Um, and we're doing some, um, you know, Tesla full self-driving testing. So I'm like, well, I've got to pick a destination. You just press the button go, do-do, navigate to Zuck's house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he went to his house and called him out. <laughs> Interesting. What is the what's the size difference on those guys? He's a lot bigger. Mm. But Zuckerberg I, trains quite a bit, doesn't he? Yeah. But uh, Elon trained too, and he's a reptile. So I know he's got the advantage on the yeah, ground. Yeah, but if you get him when it's cold. Ah. <laughs> um. So I thought that was pretty fucking interesting. I mean, imagine if they really did fight over who had control over those two platforms. Mm -hmm. We could go back to the way Twitter was, or, I mean, Facebook and Instagram are the two worst, maybe TikTok's in there too, 
social media platforms in terms of the harm that they've done to people. Oh, absolutely. Especially Americans. Yeah. And they have, they're addictive. They know they're addictive. They know that they're harmful and they don't give a fuck. They were specifically designed to be as addictive as possible. And what, what kind of attention do, does Zuckerberg get from the media? I mean, he's adored Mm -hmm. and look at what happened to the guy that used to be adored by the media, mm-hmm. Elon Musk, he's hated him. Yeah. He's an anti-Semite and blah, blah, blah. So my prediction has to do with the presidential race that's coming up. I know that happens to be the prediction most weeks, but yes, hear me out. So okay. did you guys watch the Newsom versus DeSantis? Mm, I just missed debate? it. <laughs> okay. I listened to the whole thing. I'm doing the Lord's work over here. Thank you. I listen to NPR. You you follow presidential yeah. politics. We can't both do. We have to divide up the, the no. suffering. Um, obviously, these two guys are both running for president, right? Right. DeSantis has announced that he's doing it yeah. this term. Newsom hasn't. Mm-hmm. But it's obvious. But he is, yeah. Right? And I've heard a few arguments that are pretty good that, well, he's just a, he doesn't care when he becomes president. He just knows, and he's a young guy. One day he's going to be president, right? right? Fair enough. Maybe that's the case. But let's not underestimate the ability for the psychos that are in power to do anything out within their power to hold on to power. Yeah. This, right? They've this, done this, horrible things. This before. was kind of interesting because you brought this up several months ago and was it uh, general McGregor? I believe it was who said there wouldn't be a wouldn't Colonel be McGregor. A, yeah. Colonel McGregor said, he's like, I don't think there's going to be an election. Like, mm-hmm. It's kind of out there. Mm-hmm. And now I'm now that's what I think too. Well, there will be if the Democrats think they can win. Right. Then they have to have an election. Yeah. Right. Obviously it's, it's full Machiavellian at this point. There's too much on the line. It's just a complete, it's psychopathic power on steroids at this point. If If, they think they're going to lose, there will not be an election. If you watched this debate, what would stand out to you would be that Ron DeSantis was a better governor than Gavin Newsom. Because you know the, I can't the even facts. conceive what the argument against that is. Well, if you didn't know anything and you watched this debate, you wouldn't really pick that up. Mm-hmm. But every single thing that Newsom said was a just total out-and-out lie. Right. And he used statistics to lie. He said things like... Um, more people are moving to California from Florida than yeah. than the other way around. That's just not true. He said that Californians pay lower taxes than Florida's. That, Floridians. That, that thing about the population migration was, I mean, just evil political genius because it's the kind of thing. Stati- I mean, what's the saying? There's lies, damn lies, and then there's statistics. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Is because people, the vast majority of people don't do any research. They're not going to look at, they take the talking point and they repeat it on Facebook or whatever to go back to our our last conversation. And when they say like, well, Newsom said that, you know, more people are moving from Florida to California than vice versa. And then you have to go like, okay, no, that's based on a per capita, you know, statistic. And it goes like, it wasn't even that the eyes rolls back in their head. Exactly. It was worse than that though. He fully lied about that. He used the per capita of Californians and he didn't use per capita of Floridians. It was just like this total, like made up nonsensical lie. And there is a difference by the way, between statistics and data. Data is information. Statistics is that information 
analyzed. Right. Right. And that's why you can lie with statistics, but mm. data doesn't lie. Just in so case you, anyone's. You're already four sentences too deep People to, to explain that totally to your wacky aunt at Christmas yeah. dinner. You're like, just never mind. Okay, fine. That's because, and that's done on purpose also. The reason that she, your aunt rolls her eyes is because she's an idiot and was raised in public schools in America. And the intent of the psychopathic elites, again, is to hold power and they make everyone dumb so that when you bring up a logical argument, they just, their eyes roll back in their heads because they are incapable of actually processing the information that you're, you're telling them. It's the, all done on purpose. The border is secure. It's not. <laughs> so, and the border came up, homelessness came up. So over and over and over again, Newsom's just lying in this debate. And it just made me think like, well, obviously it's political theater. We all knew that. That's yeah. why you guys didn't watch it. And, um, but I was just curious kind of what the point of this thing was like, why are they doing this? Yeah. They're not running against each other. They, yeah. <laughs> but they could be. Um, and then I thought of that, uh, the Musk versus Zuckerberg fight. And I thought, is it, would it be a terrible idea to have politicians have to fight each other? Fight. I mean, think about it. It would eliminate really old guys. Okay. Right. And even if the, the outcome doesn't necessarily determine who wins the, the election, they just have to fight. Okay. Right. And maybe they put some stakes uh, on, on the line here. You know, maybe there's something, some skin in the game. Uh, you know, maybe they have to bet their houses or something like pink slips. Right. Right. Uh, but they just have to fight. doesn't matter who wins or loses, but we just want to see it. Interesting. Right. Because I want to see the Zuckerberg Musk fight just because, I mean, that's an interesting fight, even if there wasn't anything on the line. But they're putting the whole fucking. I don't know if I could bring myself to watch that. It's just so like all these situations that just the math always ends up like we are the Romans at this point, just f- pure bread and circuses. And it's just, it's so hard to engage in the downfall of society. I hear you for me, but th- I mean, not watching it doesn't save you from it. <laughs> it's too much like the presidential <laughs> debates. So here comes my caveat, I guess to quote the great Pericles, uh, just because you're not interested in politics doesn't mean it will take an interest in you. So you might have a point there. Exactly. Um, and on that note, like I know that as a, a libertarian, small L, um, I believe that our government is entirely illegal and illegitimate mm-hmm. and, the, before the ink was dry in the Constitution, the people in power were already trying to violate the, the regulations set yeah. down in the Constitution yep. right, to regulate government. Um, but I, I am not going to endorse people going, you know, hoarding ammunition and getting armed to the teeth and going and storing a capital in, in an attempt to... Protest Roe versus Wade to bring. <laughs> oh wait, no, the invasion of Israel. Wait, which which insurrection are you referring to there? Yeah, I whatever it is. No, I don't believe in armed con. You know, an armed conflict at this point is not going to get us back to seventeen eighty nine. You know, it's going to do something. Mm-hmm. But it, the outcome is probably not going to be what you are hoping it will be. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think on Liberty Tree, we in, are advocates for peace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I was running for president, my pitch would actually be this. We are, I'm not about to uh, announce my 
candidacy, <laughs> by the way. Um, Let's load off. <laughs> my pitch would be, I am, I'm here to roll back policy or the state to 1990. Okay. We're starting with that. Okay. And then after that, we're going to do 1980 and then we'll do 1970 and then the sixties and then the fifties. And we're not going to stop until we get to 1776 <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> Could you hit that applause uh, button? I don't know if set on there. Um, nope. <laughs> not bad. I like it. Um, and so, uh, it's funny you said that because I would, I've had that conversation before. I was like, it just seems like, I wish we could go back to some simpler times and then go like, oh, what? Like before women could vote? No, I'm talking like 98, something like that. What a good campaign slogan, you know, roll, let's just go back to the nineties where everything was way freer. And then like that cult song fades in. (laughs) Totally. Should end it right here. (laughs) Um, all right. So what was my prediction? Um, you keep dancing around that. Yeah. So, oh yeah. And that's why I think that the Sasquatch built the uh, tunnels for Hamas. I think we, um, I want to say this about voting. The cathedral wants you, a Liberty Arborist, Mm -hmm. not to vote. Correct. Because... The fewer people who vote, the easier it is to manipulate elections. Yeah. And they want to manipulate elections because they want to stay in power, right? They need elections to make it look like everything's yeah, democratic. It's all facade. Right. Um, and you can manipulate elections in two ways. You can cheat or you can influence dum-dums who don't know any better, right? Which, like I said before, people are getting dumber and dumber, and that's no accident, right? Um from radio in the beginning, we, we see how easy people started getting terrified by propaganda and then TV came along and they were more terrified. And then now we're in social media and it's just almost like people, you can just kind of control everywhere. 24 seven fear porn. Yeah. Um, ballot harvesting, not necessarily cheating. That works because people are just retarded. Like you have to be a retard to give someone else your ballot Correct. To go turn it in for you. Which is legal in California. Especially some like white dude with dreadlocks. He's like, yeah, no, you know, it's like, <laughs> fine, just give me your ballot. Um, the cathedral also wants non-citizens to vote. Yeah. And before, you know, I, I know I can hear the eyes rolling, like non-citizens don't vote, but I, I found this um, Pew Research article that... Um, shows that non-citizens actually do end up voting. And when you have a high population uh, or a high number of people that are indigent or dumb enough to allow someone else to vote for them with ballot harvesting and you have non-citizens voting, you basically have like a a Tammany Hall situation where people are just voting for a um, political machine and it's automatic, right? right? If you start getting people voting who are motivated to vote, um, for their own, because they're pissed off at a, at a system, right. Then it totally, uh, overcomes this setup kind of, uh, machine that the political elites have established in order to control elections. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened back in, uh, 2016 right. and 2018. I was just going to ask you where, where that fit into that puzzle. 
Yeah, we, you we click talk on about the uh, chart of voter turnout, please. We talk quite a bit about that. I think they got complacent with that system. It became its own industrial complex, and they kind of rested easy. And you know, even two days before the election, they're saying like Hillary Clinton has a like eighty something percent chance of you know coming. Trump becoming the president was a major, major glitch in the matrix. Exactly, and they have dialed their complacency back to a severe degree. They're going to like, that cannot happen again. That was not supposed to happen. So remember when we were kids and you always heard about like, oh, record low voter turnout. People just don't care. You know, everyone was very complacent, like in the nineties and going, I mean, even I remember as just a little kid, like hearing like, right. it's crazy how few Americans actually vote. Yeah. Right. It's the number of registered voters that vote is low. Yeah. And if you look at this chart, the uh, turnout rates for elections back in 86 is dropping steadily uh, across time here. And when you get to 2016 and 2020, it jumps way up from 42% in 2014 to 53 and a half percent, which is big. That's millions of people who weren't expected to vote. Right. When Trump came along, people were inspired by his middle finger yeah. and they turned out to vote. And when you do that, that little bit of cheating that they were doing before is not enough. Right. And so they have to cheat because they, otherwise they don't win, but they can't just out and out steal the election. They have to keep it close. They have to cheat a little bit. The more you cheat, the easier it is to get caught. They have to continue to present the facade that it's legitimate to some degree. So people feel like they have a role in the power process, which they don't, by the way. Exactly. Um, it's almost like, um, if you have a, uh, so a magician that saws a woman in half Mm -hmm. on stage, right? Right. In order for that trick to work, you have to have a lot of real stuff in there. You have to have a real person. Mm -hmm. You have to have a real saw. It has to, you know, look like it's cutting over half. Then you have to pull it apart and the legs have to wiggle still Mm -hmm. like, Oh my God, like that's, that's (laughs) insane. Right. But if people start coming up on the stage and, you know, and, and looking at what you're doing, getting really close, like right. all of a sudden the, the trick falls apart yeah. and you, you have to, you know, bail at the, you know, run away. And that's the equivalent of a lot of people turning out to vote. Yeah. And so the reason I'm bringing this up is because, um, I'm not a Trump supporter. You're not? No, but I am a supporter of people going up on stage and lifting up the box and, and seeing how around. this fucking magician did this saw in half right, right. trick. And most of us probably could figure it out. But <laughs> <laughs> Ta-da. And I think that the uh, the equivalent of that is is people turning out to vote. All you have to look at people that think like we do need to vote. Mm-hmm. The only motivation you should need to vote is that Obviously, the cathedral does not want you to vote. Yeah. So even if you think your vote is going into a paper shredder when you turn it in, do it anyways. Mm-hmm. If they don't want you to do it, that should be enough right there that you're just going to go do it. Go vote. Okay. So that's my pitch for voting. Um, my prediction is this. Do I have a prediction? <laughs> we keep asking you that. <laughs> you want me to read it for you, bud? Um. Look on the screen. Okay, so no, I got it here. Um, so Trump derangement syndrome is getting worse and worse. Stop giving him away fucking <laughs> notes. Uh, <laughs> it gets the prediction. <laughs> I'm trying here. <laughs> the 
Ra- I wish I, I should have pulled up the clip, but Rachel Maddow recently. I got five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. I told you we should have hired that guy. Hey, who invited you to? <laughs> Rachel Maddow recently um, said that. Thank you for providing structure, by the way. Hey, you're cutting in my five minutes. Okay. I take back uh, I'm my time. Bustering. <laughs> That Trump wanted to uh, hold the mainstream media in not contempt, but as uh, what's what's it called when you go against uh, the government? Oh, oh, tr- uh, convict them of treason or accuse them of treason, right? And that way he could murder all of them. <laughs> that, Rachel Maddow said that. Yeah, is okay. So I don't follow this stuff very closely, but I do notice because I take it in NPR, for example, and hear snippets here and there, different shows. Is I'm always pretty fascinated by when the narrative is lockstep and consistent. Everyone says the same thing. It was like Monday morning, Trump. Trump wants to be a dictator. Every single mainstream media outlet was saying that. It's like it's. Like they were. Sent. Well, there was, he was asked that on stage by, uh, Sean Hannity mm-hmm. and he did say, I want to be a dictator. He did. <laughs> he said, yeah, but just for one day. Oh. And then Hannity was like, wait a second, you're going to be a dictator for one day. And he said, no, I'm not going to be a dictator. I'm going to in typical Trump fashion, totally yeah. reversed what he said. He's like, no, but I'm going to open the border on the first day. And so it was a bunch of nuts, but of course they hung on to that one right. thing. Right. But yeah, I mean, he, he kind of gives them what they want a lot of time. But um, so in the same way that Gavin Newsom is going to be our, the, the democratic nominee for president this time around. Yes. That is going to happen. Yes. I just listened to Eric, uh, Larry Elder say, no, it's not going to happen. There's no way that the woke establishment can get around having to put Kamala Harris up first. They just can't do it. There's no way that they can put a white man ahead of Kamala Harris. There's no way they can run There's, Kamala Harris. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, she has, they'll I, get rid of Kamala Harris like they're dropping a fucking cigarette butt on the ground, step on it and squish it out. They don't give a fuck. We're yeah. talking about psychopaths here. Right. They do not care. They want power. The woke stuff is just a tool to get power. Yeah. They will Spiru Agnew her. Easily, right? Mm-hmm. And if they have to think about either deep, having Trump... Deep pull, by the way. <laughs> if it's a choice between Trump and uh, you know, and Trump winning yeah. and somebody else, they, they don't, they're going to put somebody else in yeah. besides her in order to beat Trump. They don't care. Trump, because Trump is a threat to their power. So might they assassinate Trump? I don't think... I'm... I, Guarantee that's on the table and <laughs> has been discussed. But the, if they were to do that, the, the reaction, the mm-hmm. violent reaction to that would be uh, something that I don't think they can work into their equation. Exactly. Yeah. So here's why that would happen. A violent reaction to that is what they're after. Much like January 6th. Yes. And like the Israel stuff, mm-hmm. um, which I believe that what's happening in Israel right now is more about creating, I don't think I'll get into it right now because I want to let you have time to do your thing, but it's more about creating refugees from the Muslim world 
that will have to be taken in because we're so kind and open-hearted or what's a, in as America. Al- what has already happened in Europe. And exactly, just like what's happening in Europe, that that is the reason. This World War Three is about taking in refugees and destroying America. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. And if you assassinate Trump, you're going to have a revolt on your hands. I and a revolt, what better excuse to lock down the country again implement cbdc do the lockdown thing do all of that than to have an actual civil war in america and that's why i think that the likelihood of trump being assassinated is high because they are not going to just let it let him become president no all right if it's coming down to it if gavin newsom looks like he's losing because he sucked in that debate yeah so he's not a savior no one actually really likes the guy Mm -hmm. you know they will if it is the choice between trump and assassination i think assassination is on the table and the the positive externality of assassinating trump is that they get to cancel the election and lock everyone in their homes it's just yet another giant basically j6 is a giant fed honeypot i like that that's how i see it so that's my prediction. It's not bad. Enough. <laughs> that's your timer. Go away. All right. Uh, I should add a caveat to what you're saying, because if you were to pitch this at your aunt at Christmas dinner, they're like, why would our politicians willingly destroy their own country? It's like, because they're not beholden to any country. They have no, they have allegiance to power, which is the push towards a one world governance governance, which we, was that two, three episodes that we talked about? It's like, they, they don't care about America. It's, that's just a, basically a position of power that they hold so they can execute this larger agenda. Right. Would be the answer to that. Right. Um, the, the, exactly. The, and I, when we say they, how many episodes was that ago we talked about they? Uh, two or three. I've been thinking a lot about that. I think that, does it, do you come across that, when we say they, that it means a group at the top controlling everyone else? Yes. Because I've been thinking that I don't think it's just one group, but factions within one group. And like, well, when it, you. It's a strata of power, like that, that table that we had that, you know, we have, it goes up. Yeah. There's, there's a hierarchy of well, power. Right. And there's some people that are in that group and some people that aren't. And there's people with power. If you go back like through history, uh, of America, the people in power are not the same people that are in power today. The industries that controlled things are not the same people that control things today. Mm-hmm. Some of them are, but not all of them. A lot, a lot of that shifts around. Or, They're all opportunists. Yeah. None of them are Americans. They all hate Western civilization because Western modern Western civilization is the idea that we, uh, laws rule men, not men. Yeah. It's idea. It's ideal. All people are equal under the law to the power hierarchy. And you can't right. have that if you're trying to control people. If all people are equal under the law, then you don't have power to control other people. And that's actually what they want. I mean, look, we're all enslaved, right? We spend 50%. We, like you were just saying the other day on the phone, we spend 20 hours a week working for our slave master to right. give them our money. They're literally harvesting your livelihood like cattle. Right. And so the limited hangout that you brought up on the last episode mm-hmm. with Netanyahu, knowing about the right. Hamas attack yeah, a year the, in advance. The way that I tried to explain it is that the limited hangout is the idea. How do you understand limited hangout? 
Yeah. Well, they, they throw out a little bit of truth in order to be able to you, um, say down the road that like, um, well, we've been saying that for, so, so it, for weeks it, it diffuses a, and the, the reason that they did this limited hangout on in this uh, New York times article was to diffuse the story down the road. Right. If somebody else found out that Israel knew about the attack a year ahead of time, and let's say like uh, Alex Jones came up, you know, someone leaked it to him and he came out with it. It would be like fucking bombshell. Like here, obviously they, they right. wanted this attack to happen, but instead the New York times comes out with it and they just kind of softball it. It needs to be filtered at a very, very slow pace through the trusted gatekeepers in this yeah. case being the New York times and CNN and MSNBC. And what the limited hangout is, the metaphor that I gave, it's like, they didn't come right out and say like the vaccine didn't work. They say it's not 99% effective. It's 89. Okay. It's like 79. And it's just that slow drip, drip, drip. And a year later, they're like, it's like 17% for two weeks. And then our, and then your our, normie friends can say, yeah, we've known that forever. It's like, well, you slowly, there was this very slow build up, this aggregate that just kept building, building, building. And so when you go, you know, two years ago, I was saying this and they go like, I don't, I don't remember that. It's, it's, it's a slow, yeah, or, or they just go, yeah, well, we've known that for a while. It's a slow grind conditioning. No, we haven't to- known that for a while. You were saying it was a hundred percent effective right. two years ago. So if you read that article down to paragraph seven, what they say, the two guys that wrote it, they're fully covering for Netanyahu. Yeah. And I think the reason that they leaked it out was so that somebody else couldn't do it first and it gives Netanyahu cover because they they go out of their way to say that he knew nothing about this Mm -hmm. and only one Israeli intelligence officer actually saw this and thought maybe this could actually happen because everyone else said just like they did and they actually brought up 9-11 in this article. 9-11 was a failure of imagination. That was kind of the... (laughs) The, the talking point right. when, when it came out that we actually knew that they were training um, they, militants to fly 747s. Uh, they didn't want to be able to know how to land right. the plane. They were like, no, 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 I don't have time to learn I how to land. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right? Same thing here. This is a failure of imagination mm-hmm. that they just didn't think it was possible that they weren't technologically advanced enough to be able to pull off this attack right? with fucking, you know, Box cutters. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking of like in, in like Hamas, right? Like the attack was not technologically advanced, No, but somehow they did. They, they failed to have the imagination that they could actually pull this attack off. I mean, even, a, even though it was written out in a 60 page report that you had a year ahead of time, a year of, <laughs> ahead of time. Yeah, exactly. But they just can't, they're not technologically advanced to get a hold of like motorcycles. Are they? <laughs> And so this is all just being rolled out there to keep Netanyahu from getting exposed by someone like Alex Jones or someone that doesn't like him. So, okay, so, you got a slight deviation from kind of what I took from that article, which I, I think don't is think interesting. It's to, yeah, I don't think it's to get rid of Netanyahu. I think it's to, to defend him. Interesting. And so then I started thinking about, like, who are the, the elites in power that are um, the they that we talk about? It's, you know, it's these factions. And right now... The I think that the Jewish faction, for lack of a better term, or the, the Israel faction, who has a lot of control over American politics, mm-hmm. and Scott Horton talks about how George W. Bush uh, is the one that made, forced Israel to allow elections mm-hmm. in uh in the West Bank and in, or in Gaza, right in the West Bank. And those elections kind of upended the, the control of power there and the, the Israel lobby did not like that. 
And so they put all of their weight behind Bill Clinton. And that's why George W. George H. W. Bush only was a one-term president because the Israel lobby, you know. Yeah. I I think I heard that too. Okay. And so what do they want? Well, they, they're just one faction of they, right? It's not like them and the, the president of Boeing and, um, the, the, chief financial officers of, you know, the, the biggest investment banks, you know, it's not like they all have the exact same club that they go to. They're just all factions of power and they're, they're all kind of vying for power. That's how I see it. I, mm-hmm. I'm making this up. I, mean, okay. I could be totally off by this, but it doesn't seem in my mind, like they're all just exactly on the same page. I think that Israel is behind. I've been talking for a long time. No, I, go for I'm it. sorry, but I think Israel is behind all of the pro-Palestine, uh, pro-Hamas demonstrations uh, in America. Well, and they did create Hamas. And they created Hamas <laughs> so in the first place. It's that. the exact same dynamic, right. right? It's Israel wanting to have this victimhood so that they can say to the rest of the world, like, look, we're being attacked by these savages yeah. that we happen to put in I think place we, there. I think we brought that up right? in the last episode where you say, like, where does an organization like ISIS come from? Like from our State Department. Exactly. How do they get all those weapons from us? We gave we, it to we, them. We sent them over there. I think that because all, all of the protests, the pro-Hamas and I mean pro-Palestine, I guess, uh, demonstrations that have been happening all over the country, it's like way more people than seems rational. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? And we brought that up. And they're up. way more organized. It's yeah. it's the equivalent of the brand new uh, Nazi flag with the creases still in it. It's just like, what's what's happening or here? Conf- Where? Or the Confederate flag in Canada. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the North will rise again. And I think that because the, uh, the Israel lobby is just like the military industrial complex and just like the central bank. They're not just the, like them. They're part of it. Well, they're all, they're all, they all have the same goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, but they're all kind of jockeying for position in this, they group that we're talking about, right? What they want is to weaken America. Again, America is the only thing standing in the way of total world subjugation, Mm -hmm. right? And what better way to do that than to have a war that creates a million, millions of refugees. They have to have somewhere to go. They come into America much like they have in the rest of Europe. Mm Mm-hmm. And in Luton Town, the way that um, Tommy Robinson was talking recently about his uh, experience in his hometown and how upended everything that was British about his town has become. It was eradicated within two decades. Yep. They're trying to do the same thing in America. And I think that the, uh, the Israelis are behind all of these protests because, again, like we've been saying since day one, what they want is... World War Three, and I don't think it's just World War Three. They want another war that's going to create tons of refugees and spread uh, uh, terrible ideas, non-Western ideas, to the rest of Western of the rest of Western world. I like that. So, yeah, that was uh, you know that's what I thought about on the on the plane on the way back. Oh, you're sitting at that wedding, in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> sitting in first class, you have a lot of time to think. You can really stretch your legs out. And all those poor people behind you really makes a man think. Nice. <laughs> Break? Yeah.
So I'm doing something a little different than I usually do. And I started thinking about like one of the things that I love about doing this podcast is number one is it makes me like research things I'm already interested in. Mm -hmm. And then I'm able to bring receipts to the conversation at the holiday table. Such would be the... (laughs) What? Were we going to dial in that soundboard? Weird. Hmm. And one of my favorite things is to bring up things that end up scaring the piss out of you which I really enjoy things that scare the piss out of me. Yeah. Things like the, oh, like Deagle, like the Deagle, yeah. Deagle statistics, which uh, saw a I like that too. drop in world population by like 70% due to a nuclear Holocaust or a man-made pathogen or a famine or whatever. The second thing, thing that I like bringing up are things that I know are going to upset you mm. and why that is. I don't know. Yeah, I guess <laughs> cause I'm petty. I don't know. Not my fault. I blame my parents divorce. Yeah, well, I mean, so that's how you know you got a good friend. <laughs> yes. So I thought this would be interesting because it, I, this I pretty can confidently say falls into something that we can safely say that we are experts in, uh, mm. according to the ten thousand hour rule, right? Yes. Uh, this would be in the realm of construction, I obviously, guess. and particularly green building, something that you and I were both certified for. Yes. And insulation, which is you and I are semi-silent partners in an insulation company. Yep. I guess we can say that. So this is an article from the New York Times and... I can't wait to just destroy this. Oh, you're, you're, you're going to like this. This is interesting because it's also... We have come to realize that many of the things that we take from mainstream media is we go like, it, 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 this, like the comedy is writing itself. Like mm-hmm. who, like how is this getting lost on people? You, you know what I mean? So for um, like an example, we come up with the most absurd thing that we can think of, which would be the idea of booster rage and, you know, people acting psychotic because, you know, the boosters were affecting, you know, the way their mind works. And then two months later, the WHO comes out and says like, well, yeah, well, one symptoms of the vaccine is psychosis and psychotic like behavior. We're like, I'm I'm running out of jokes here. (laughs) It's like, it's, I can't. If the entire world is just pure absurdity, then jokes no longer have any meaning. Yes. It's I, the most absurd, demented mind can't keep up with reality. And that's, it's, it's almost, we're like running out of stuff to have podcasts about. It's, it's, I love it though, by by the way, it makes our job a lot easier. It's, it's like, I can sit and dwell on the most like demented idea I can think of like, or I can just read mainstream media and you know, the comedy will kind of just present itself. Yeah. So I love this article because it perfect, perfectly exemplifies like the elite kind of climate activist kind of pay for play conscious model and just the absurdity and the hypocrisy that um, I guess a lot of like climate activism is built on, which is something that's more in your wheelhouse that you bring up quite a bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, uh, it is kind of, <clears throat> you can't look at the climate argument or climate science honestly if you don't also consider that science now is a product of the people that are funding it right you know i mean science is supposed to be a 
a give and a take and a push and a pull. And there's, he's supposed to be science, are, small S science. Yes. Not science Inc. Right. Which is the issue. The whole idea of the science, which you brought up a lot. Right. Is antithetical to the scientific method. Like you're supposed to be able to disprove things that are wrong. Which was the, the issue we took. So like the most glaring example of, of what you're describing right there would be something like, the COVID pandemic, which was just rife with this notion. I mean, just through and through and through. I mean, take the, take the phrase, follow the science, which became the mantra for, mm-hmm. for all those sheeple out there. Uh, where we follow It's like, you're not supposed to follow, you follow sports teams. You don't follow science. You understand science and science yeah. constantly evolves and changes and needs to be questioned at every step of the way. That's how science, right, it's, like, a di- it's a discipline. When, it's, it's not a dogma. When Galileo was saying that, well, I kind of think that the earth is not the center of the universe and people were like, follow the science. The science says that the world revolves around the earth. And he's like, well, okay. I mean, if he had followed the science. And he was since uh, banished from his community and thrown in prison. Yeah. <laughs> Something to, to consider. I think it was house arrest. Um, Hold on. What's this? Oh, uh, that's why Jake- those paintings of him have that ankle bracelet all the time. <laughs> <laughs> the low jack for people. There we go. So Jake pulled up. Uh, oh, this is perfect. A flow this, chart. Oh, dude. Well done, sir. Scientific method versus science worshipers method, also known as scientism. Why don't you take us through that real quick? Because this perfectly okay. lays the table for scientific what method. About. Ask a question, then do background research, then construct hypothesis. Then you test with an experiment. Is the procedure working? If it goes to no, then you troubleshoot the procedure, carefully check all steps and, and set up. If it is working, you analyze the data, draw conclusions, and then if the results align with your hypothesis, you communicate the results. If the results partially or do not align with your hypothesis, you also uh, relay the results, but then you go back to your experimental data background research for new and future projects, ask a new question, form a new hypothesis and experiment again, go back up to the hypothesis point and start over with new and you question and you test and you question and it evolves and it goes on and on and on. It's constantly changing. The history of science is changing of uh, preconceived notions. Everyone thought things were the way, the one way. And then we do some tests. We do get more data. We do more research. We end up with new, uh, explanations for the way that the world works. And so on the other side of this, we have the science worshippers method, which is step one, don't dare ask questions. Step two, construct a model based on preconceived ideas. Step three, find data that agrees with model. If this doesn't explain the COVID pandemic, I don't know what was. Step four, discard data that does not align with model. And our final stage <laughs> of shout, trust the experts or follow the science. That is scientism in a nutshell. I like <laughs> yes. it. Yes. So here's the headline. Let's just start with the headline, which you're going to love this right okay. off the bat. It's going to annoy you, which makes me happy because okay. I'm not happy unless someone else is upset. It's particularly me. Headline, their Cape Cod home isn't small, but its carbon footprint is. Okay, let's dig into this. And I'm not doing this to pick on this particular couple. I'm pick, I'm picking this for two reasons. No, well, no one gives a shit how big their house is. Have a big house. Which we are going to get to. Yes, Exactly exactly thank you is i want to use it as a perfect example of the pay to play kind of climate activist model 
the low, the most low hanging fruit is someone like John Kerry flying around on pri- private jet, you know, to climate conferences to come back and to lecture us to not use a lawnmower, for example, or not have a gas stove in our house. That's the low hanging fruit. That's easy. Yeah. Now, this couple and this story perfectly kind of exemplifies this as a as a kind of a broader point. But I also bring it up that I also want to point the finger at the mainstream media and these people that write these articles and go like, are you guys not seeing any irony whatsoever in this article, right? It's just you're, if, if the emphasis of what you're trying to, the message of your article, the essence of what you're trying to convey to the public, right, is a carbon footprint or sustainability or green building or, you know, just climate activism as a whole, right? Which, by the way... All of those things, carbon footprint and, you know, these, these things that are supposed to be bad for the environment. If we go back to the clip or the, uh, the slide that Jake was showing a second ago and try to, you don't have to go back there, but to, to try to apply the scientific method correct to these ideas yes, and check, like, was this ever done? Yes. yes. No. Mommy. Daddy. No. Yes. They've not run experiments. <laughs> no. We don't have any actual experiments that or, show that this stuff is accurate. It's all based on models or models that are, you're trying to model the most complex thing in the universe or that we know of mm-hmm. the 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 weather basically mm-hmm. of of the earth the climate of the earth mm-hmm. and it's just, we're just ex- all expected to accept that their model is correct and to also refer back to that chart what was it step three it says throw out any data that does not align with your preconceived notion That's, yes, that from scientism <laughs> exactly perfect exactly um Okay, this story follows a couple. Their names are Michael and Jennifer Montero, who in 2019 purchased a property in Harwick, Massachusetts, which is an extremely upscale area of Cape Cod, uh, for $2.6 million after he sold his uh, software company. I think they're called Buildium. Uh, He sold that company startup for $580 million. And they went to work building their second dream home. Uh, you know, oceanfront on Cape Cod, this very upscale kind of spot. Okay, but as the article lays out, the Monteros didn't just want a massive oceanfront estate for their second home. They wanted a second home that they could feel good about and would also declare to the world, like, (laughs) we too care about the environment, which is very important, right? Of course. They wanted to make this statement. They weren't just some inordinately wealthy couple. I have no issue with that whatsoever. If you can build a startup for five, I'm assuming this guy is very bright and probably worked his ass off to make this company. Mm-hmm. And the issue I have, like, dude, do you like, don't there's no apology needed. Like you right. live in one of the few places in the world where you could do something like that. Like, I don't need this weird kind of white guilt thing that comes at the end of it that, you know what I mean? I was declaring like, but I also really care yeah. about the environment. It's white guilt. And, uh, it's Western guilt. Right. Exactly. So do you remember we were, uh, we both got certified from green building mm-hmm. for green building and yeah, the building um, performance. Institute. So not to get too far out into the weeds here, but do you remember this is kind of a bit of a side street, but I'm going to bring up, do you remember the idea of embodied energy? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Which is basically the amount of energy it takes to get, a product to your doorstep. Correct. You have to look at the entire carbon footprint. So to take it out of building, it's um, if you want to feel good about yourself and pat yourself on the back because you eat sustainably raised organic eggs, right? But they're shipped here from Washington 
and you can just get regular brown eggs that were grown locally, okay, that embodied energy of that product while you're patting yourself on the back is much larger because you, you have to take in the processing facility, the fuel, the trucks, offloading the trucks, the employees, the electricity, you know, the forklifts, everything. You have to mm-hmm. look at the entire equation of what went into bringing that product to market. Yeah. That's what embodied energy is. So to take it back to green building for a second, do you remember our uh, instructor? I won't use his name, but he was brilliant. He was brilliant in, in the aspects of green building. Very knowledgeable. Like one of the more smarter people I've ever come across. Totally. And he, but he was also, he had like a slight, you know, quite, you got to ask questions though. And he would poke holes in a lot of the green building movement, which I really, really. That uh, was the coolest thing about that training that we did is yeah. that, uh, because at that time, and I'm sure it's still a thing, LEED certified was, for those who know anything about the green building industry, LEED stands for something that, it's an acronym for, for ener- right. energy efficiency. Um, uh, low emissions, could, something, yeah, yeah. Uh, long energy efficiency, something like that. Ding dong. I don't, yeah. Um, the lead certified meant that you designed a building to be energy efficient mm-hmm. and you would get certified. <clears throat> I think it was like bronze, silver, or gold right. certified. Yeah. Right. Well, they never tested any of those buildings to no. see how energy efficient they actually were. Right. It was just based on the design yeah. of the building. Which is and this guy would go around testing those fucking lead certified buildings and say, they're terrible. Part of his livelihood was to go around and show how other people were full of shit and yeah. how these programs were nonsense. Which is why it appealed to you and me. <laughs> we're like, I like this guy. It's awesome. Just another authoritarian pain in the ass out mm-hmm. there. Like, yeah. And so one of the things that you talked about when in the aspects of, you know, to go back to embodied energies, like, you know, one thing that you do have to take into account is at this time there were federal rebates available and which were never... <laughs> Nah, you know, in, in typical bureaucratic fashion, there are federal rebates and every client that we dealt with to get these green buildings certified at the end, they said, not worth it. It's yeah. like, I got four grand back and I spent, you know, 60 hours trying to navigate this website and on the phone. And it's just like every, to a T, every single client said mm-hmm. a complete waste of time. And so one thing he says like, okay, so some of these, he's all, there's a lot of, it's very problematic. Some of these federal rebates, some of the things they give you rebates for, because for example, they'll say, if you swap out all your appliances, right, and get these new green appliances, brand new washer, dryer, dishwasher, whatever it is, water heater, is you also have to take into account when you think of things like embodied energy, is like if you get rid of all your shit, where's that shit going? It's going to the right. landfill. And you're getting rid of it not because it's worn out and useless. Yeah. Just because you're getting a rebate. So you're throwing away a, stuff that still has a life perfectly good left in it that maybe uses, you know, 20% more water, your washer than this new green thing. Uh, but however, you're taking that old washer and you're throwing it in the landfill. That's part of embodied energy, right? And not to mention that you have just entered the doom loop of planned obsolescence because anything that you buy now is just complete garbage. It's going to last maybe five years and that's going to go in the landfill and that's going to go in the landfill. Mm-hmm. We got uh, side street is our, my wife and I bought a brand new washer and dryer. I think it lasts, both of them lasted five years maybe and went to the landfill. Went to, this guy came and brought us an old washing machine, like 
belt, motor, that's it. No digital, no beeping, no fucking Bluetooth, no nothing. <laughs> and the thing- How do you wash your clothes without Bluetooth? <laughs> the thing is a tank. Does it rattle my house off the foundation every time I use it? Yes, but- <laughs> But it can take it. <laughs> yeah, and this guy showed up and just in true, like he looks like how you'd imagine he'd look like. A total wingnut, mullet, you know, drove a sketchy van and yep. brought this thing in. Our heart overalls. And he, yeah, he took away. I was like, so what do you do with this one? He goes, this is garbage. I was like, you can't reuse anything. He's like, nope, complete garbage. He's like, I'm taking it straight to the dump. And Jesus. that's embodied energy. Yeah. So did I make that sound? <laughs> you all right? <laughs> it is, uh, back to the article. I don't know what that was. This is what happens when you stop drinking beer. <laughs> I um, just saw you drink a beer. Okay. So. <laughs> keep, keep the notion of embodied energy in your mind when we talk about this. So Montero's began this extensive three-year project of building their oceanfront dream second home. Mm -hmm. Okay. Problem number one, there's already a home there in their way. Someone else's home is already there where they want to build their home. Uh, <laughs> That's a, a bummer. <laughs> a very fancy, a very nice, less than 40-year-old home. Okay. So they get rid of that. They, they tear that out. Now- because he wants to be green, right, is much attention and specialists were brought in from out of the area to figure out the best way to recycle and reuse these materials. So a bunch of trucks were brought in. They took the siding to this place. and Because they, they want to be green. They're, they they want to be green. Oh, God, it I love it. Body footprint. Love it. Do you remember... I'm not going to say any names, that very, very high-end client, you and I worked for a design build firm in San Francisco and this power couple, I think she was a high exec in, in Google. Dildo. Yeah. And he would always say that. He says, just whatever you're doing, we were renovating their house that didn't need to be renovated, by the way. He says, whatever you do, just make sure it's green, make sure it's green. And I just think, I'm like, you could not heat and have all the lights on in a four-story house on a hill in San Francisco. And I'm the only one here. I mean, there, there's like a great start. And I just remember he was a good guy, but I just going like this. Not that you or I would care. No. I mean, but I just don't need the heat. speech about sustainability. Right. <laughs> right. And the idea, the whole idea of sustainability is so flawed from the get-go because these metrics that are set up to define what is sustainable and what's not, what's right. green, what's not. Correct are themselves flawed. Yeah. Largely because if, if you think that carbon and most of these arguments come down to carbon is the most important factor, the amount of energy that's needed to do the things that we're talking about is, uh, greater to make something quote unquote green than it would be just to go with your standard Right. issue the things that are available easily delivered easily readily available They're, they don't come from very far away like the system is already set up the free market is already set up to be quote-unquote green yeah because efficiency is the key to profits in the free market mm -hmm. so if you're going to have to go out of your way to be quote-unquote green that by definition is going to require more energy right Unless you have slaves who just carry it, you know, all you have to do is, you know, feed them like that, Well, I there's, know, I, would, I would say that there's an embodied energy in having slaves too, which is why I'm against slavery. Yeah. Just because of the energy efficiency. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Morally, I'm pretty flexible on the yeah, notion. No, I can, yeah. Just, I sense. consider myself a bit of an activist, so. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, kind of the point that, that I bring this up, it's like I have no issue with someone building a, you know, monstrous house, ocean, you know, second dream home or whatever, or, you know, you do you, if you can afford it. And you like, I just, I don't need the speech afterwards about how the rest of us need to be green. Cause when you take it, this is a very simple concept, the notion of embodied energy. This is something that's so conveniently glossed over and how this ends up in an article in the New York times, which is the uh, what, what, what do we say the last episode? It's like they, it's like the go-to news source for people that are genetically <laughs> resistant to critical thinking mm-hmm. is, is do you, who like did the editor go through this? These are intelligent people. I assume they probably have college degrees and I mean, they can write proficiently and write articles. It's like no one, how many people did this article cycle through and no one said like, I'm, does this seem like at all hypocritical to you? Like, some of this, you know, if, if our hit piece here or our, you know, the point is the important of being, the importance of being sustainable and green building, like it's, is none of this is sticking out to you people. That's what's interesting to me. And then the next level is the people that read it. They go like, Oh, this is amazing. This guy has all this money and he's chosen to be a climate activist and, you know, <laughs> as, as, as his passion project, you're like, this, this ridiculous. It doesn't stick out to him because at its core, it's not, real do you you guys it's false from its out from the outset let me know where you guys land on this because this is where my mind goes to it's i read this article and I, it's what i come to expect from something like the new york times and from rich liberal elites you know this preaching about the climate i'm like well i already know they're full of shit i already know they have a narrative they want to stick to that they kind of loosely adhere to you and you, you know you get to paragraph seven as we say you're like this is this is complete nonsense do you guys ever spend any time thinking about like the psychology of the people that read this and that's all lost on them because i'm fascinated by that um so i got my mom to read the first chapter oh boy of tucker carlson's book oh really yeah wow and she lose a bet <laughs> <laughs> Eh, kind of. You guys in like a fancy football <laughs> league together? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, and her takeaway was that it sounded very reasonable, but it was from five years ago. And so back then he was more reasonable. Mm-hmm. Even though that's... Mm-hmm. so. Th- so there's like a there's just like these weird mental gymnastics that people do these justifications that keep you in your, in your lane and keep you from having to kind of really step outside of yourself, do the self-reflection, see that maybe you were, you were wrong. I mean, so many people that I listen to on their podcasts or read their books or in Tucker Carlson's one of them. Um, and people on quote the right for lack of a better term, have these stories of self-reflection where they realize that they were wrong about something and mm-hmm. then they came to kind of a new way of thinking about it. Uh-huh. And that is rare. Yeah, absolutely. On the left, especially, mm-hmm. I think. Because in order to stay in your bubble, you can't do that. You know, in order to, um, in order to think that Donald Trump is Hitler, despite any obvious evidence to the contrary, mm-hmm. you have to, you, you cannot allow self-reflection and you and I both admit that we were wrong 
about uh, things like socialist ideas that we both had. And mm-hmm. um, I've heard that from a lot of guys I listen to, Dave Rubin and Tucker Carlson and um, I don't know, just a lot of thinkers that I respect had bad ideas in the beginning and then they kind of came around and, right. and thought of a new, you came into a new way to thinking about it. Which so, is kind of funny. Cause that kind of aligns to the discussion we were just having about science. It's like, if, if you could never, if, if you could, exactly. ne- if you could never look back and say like, now nah, I've had it pretty much right this whole time. I was like, have you not learned anything? That means right. you've never learned anything. Right. Yeah. I, there's something there. Yeah. So as this article, I, I, cause I think about like how, what's, is going through the person writing this article, the person reading this article or the Monteros couple, like what is going through their mind? What, what are the, as you put it, the mental gymnastics that they go through to rationalize what this headline says and what this article is trying to convey to people as opposed to what my actions actually are. And as we saw, it's like this, it's, it's the hypocrisy of kind of climate activism. You know, as he puts it, as the article puts it, as he built his modern sustainable house disguised as a traditional shingled cottage, like just like right there. It's like you're trying to, you're building this monstrosity, this giant oceanfront second dream home, which again, I have no issue with, but you're constantly trying to like squeeze it into these semantics and make it go like, I'm just kind of a humble kind of climate activist guy. It's like, dude, just, just own it. Like stop with the lectures. That's what I have a problem with. This could, this could easily fit into our uh, Matt and Kelly um, teach you how to read the media <laughs> segment that, that I came up with. Beginning in kindergarten. Yeah. I mean, this, this article is clearly, you know, written to greenwash, which is a term that we became familiar with, greenwash. In the, in the BPI. Right. Exactly. Somebody's uh, dream home. Right. And because this person who hates themselves because they're uh, an anti-Western, probably I'm guessing anti-white, even though they probably are white, um, activist is ashamed of wanting something that they actually deserve. That's why I'm building a traditional shingled cottage. It's really like, this is a great kind of synopsis. This little, it's a little like, it's not even just, it's not even just to, to take it out of green building and climate activism. That's it's I was about to say. Yeah. It's also, it's such a great snapshot of the way that elites view the rest of the world. It's like, we, we don't expect you guys to understand the hypocrisy of this, right? We just, no, expect, we just expect you, you to stick to the, the line, stick to the talking points and you know, applaud me for being a climate activist. You know, Kelly, myself, Michael Monteros and my wife, uh, where the fuck, Cindy, maybe, I don't, I don't remember her name. We're not too different, you and I. One difference is we don't expect you and the other uh, unwashed masses to understand things like sustainability, green building, embodied energy. It's, I often thought about this. I would remind myself as they tore down the existing house that was in my way before I built my second dream front ocean property is that people like you, you have a role in this process known as society, despite our best efforts, you're here on the planet, right? And you do serve some kind of role. I mean, you 
change the oil in our electric cars. You clean the toilets at my uh, kid's private school and you paint murals of that angry autistic Swedish girl in downtown San Francisco. And uh, you go and fight the wars, you know, to overthrow elections in other countries. And, uh, you know, I, I'm grateful for that to some extent. But I hope people like you and the rubes and the useless eaters that are on my planet, I hope you understand the importance that people like myself and Al Gore and John Kerry and the Obamas who also own giant oceanfront sprawling estates on Cape Cod and Martha's Vineyard despite our constant warnings of the sea level <laughs> rising. Thank you. Is I hope you appreciate the work we do. We fly all over the world, not so much to try to solve this climate problem, but to fine tune our messaging to get through to the working class and people like you, you rubes who clearly we don't expect you to understand it. And it's not your fault because we're not all born the same. Am I right? No, I, and you know, I appreciate that uh, instead of using trucks, which mm. run on fossil fuels, mm -hmm, correct. to carry away the demolished material from the house. The perfectly fine house that previous was there, on my lot, yes. That instead you hired um, uh, immigrants from uh, uh, political refugees mm -hmm, correct. from third world countries to carry that on their backs mm -hmm. by, by hand. On their on foot to the dump, uh, no, which is far more uh, sustainable. <laughs> close enough. Close <laughs> enough. Is I just I don't expect you people to thank us for solving these problems, but what we did figure out in these climate conferences, so much we do so much work in this that it's become its own industry. It's a billion dollar industry. Just working on the messaging of sustainability and green building and the importance of climate change. And we had figured out, much like the pandemic, to go back to our follow the science model, that it would be, and I'm sure you'll agree with me with this. I'll try to talk slow so you understand. Is you understand the yes, yes. yes, you understand the importance that wouldn't it be easier if we just told you what to do instead of trying to explain the science, but we just had you follow the science. We'll just give you the answers. We'll tell you what to drive, what to eat, what kind of house you can live in. Should you have a lawnmower? Should you even have a lawn? These are the things that we yeah. discuss. And being as dumb as I am, I exactly. really appreciate you simplifying it right. for me. As I said, you too have a role in this world, despite our best efforts, is part of that messaging kind of relies on that you need to be able to relate to me. How do you guys say it? I'm just like y'all, something like that. Much like the politician at that first campaign stop in Iowa who was born into generation wealth and is worth $120 million and raised in New York City his whole life, shows up in Iowa wearing a Carhartt jacket, sitting in a fucking hay bale, is he's letting you know, I'm just like y'all. Me too. I'm just like y'all. For example, look at my traditional shingled cottage, my 6,000 square foot traditional shingled cottage. I'm just like y'all. So just think of embodied energy. And we're going to get into, I can safely say we're probably experts in insulation, right? We own a business together. <laughs> Much we hate to admit it, yes. <laughs> as far as our clients are concerned, we, we are. Man, suckers. That was the easiest money I've ever made. Is... By easy, you mean you hired a immigrant from a war-torn country to do the actual work exactly. for you? Yes. <laughs> is because the Monteros couple wanted to, you know, with every step of this building process, this three-year building process, um, 
wanted to show to the world that we care about sustainability and green building and climate, for example. So to take it to the embodied energy, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, is what is the most eco kind of savvy, most like green thing, the most kind of I'm with the times with climate activism way to insulate your house that you can think of? Uh, it's gotta be, oh, denim. No. What? This is where they took a left turn. Baby seal fur. They ah. had to harvest the fur. Of <laughs> <laughs> no. Hemp. What? Yes. Haven't heard of hemp. It, it, me neither. I'm glad you said that. If a client called us tomorrow and said, I want my house insulated with hemp, would you know where to go to get that? No. Yeah, me neither. Neither did the Monteros couple. So what they had to do so they can keep their house green to this have is awesome. hemp insulation. This is a perfect example. Is of- the only crew that does this, they had to fly them in from Canada. So oh, not, good, not, good. we're not using local political refugees from Syria. They flew in a bunch of French Canadians into spray this hemp into their house so, I mean, so they could be more green. Arguably political refugees. Okay. Uh, problem two. Would you know where to get a hemp spray rig? Can't say. Um, mm. is, is it not the same as the normal uh, spray rig? <laughs> no, it's much different. Is it? They had to import the spray rig from France. So these specialized crew from Canada who are specialists in hemp insulation apparently were sans I hemp spray rig. I didn't think you were going to go into the details <laughs> of how hypocritical this was. This is awesome, dude. Thank you for doing this. You're doing the Lord's work. I'm so. trying to upset you. <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> to quote the Monteros Capital, sustainable building is one of the key solutions to the climate problem. This is also what's so hilarious about our media because I go like, okay, so it's we're not too far out in the weeds to explain the notion of embodied energy. I don't think you have to be an energy geek to understand this. I mean, it's. I mean, would you agree, uh, Jake? Would you consider yourself an energy geek <clears throat> in terms of building embodied energy thing we're talking about? No, I think it's. Do you understand the, the entire industry is based on preconceived notions that we need to be? I mean, it's good that there's not a lot of chemicals and crazy shit out there that could theoretically do a lot of damage to just humans and maybe even the environment. But I think the existence of all the sustainable stuff and forcing contractors and small businesses to have to use certain materials that are over you know, that like if I was a billionaire, I wouldn't have to trouble with any of this shit, right? Mm-hmm. Forcing all like the middle class to do all these things and the middle class contractors and the small businesses to jump through these hoops. I think it's all part of the uh, carbon footprint, uh, carbon taxing presupposition that there's a bunch of uh, climate issues going on. I'm not really on board. So, so no? Negative. Okay. Sorry. Does it make sense to you though? I, what Matt's saying? Yeah, Body energy. For a certainty. There you go. The, so, yes. You know, this is random not- guy off the street. <laughs> Makes sense to him. <laughs> to quote the Monteros, I don't expect everybody's going to want to build with hemp, but I hope it causes people to think more about the choices that go into building a house. And this is what, to go back to what we were talking about before, this is what drives me crazy. I was like, I don't have an issue 
with someone who's worth $580 million that, you know, I know a lot of people do like, Oh, he, he didn't actually do any labor or whatever it is. Like, no, he created something of value. He sold it for whatever the free market dictated, which was $580 million. And he went to work building this giant oceanfront estate, his dream home. I think that's fucking awesome. It's admirable. And it's something that we should all kind of look to is inspiration. What I have issue with not only, and not to just pick on this couple, like they're probably trying to alleviate some sort of wealth ridden guilt that they have in their head. It's the lecture afterwards. It's the hypocrisy. And then it goes down into, into layers, right? So it's like the Monteros couple. This is the same with all these political elites, you know, Bill Gates to Al Gore to John Kerry, our climate czar, John Kerry. It's then the mainstream media picks it up and goes like, yes, like the narrative is, is that, you know, this guy's a climate activist and this is something that we should all like admire. And then the people read it and they go like, this is amazing. The work this guy has is doing, you know, for the planet. And you go like, you take, like, you know, as we just kind of figured out on our own, like things like embodied energy are not terribly complex topics. It, it's this is funny. very easy to understand. It remind, yeah, exactly. It reminds me of, um, you know, we, these same people would tell you to trust the experts in most cases. Yeah. But no expert ourselves included in that mm-hmm. list, I think, would recommend that if you, what you're actually trying to do right. was save energy, be green, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the same as saving energy, I think. It reminds me of... My dad worked on this house in Piedmont where the homeowners wanted to put a layer of Kevlar around the entire house before they put the interior wallboard on inside every room in the house. And all the interior wallboard was uh, quarter sawn white oak, mm-hmm. tongue and groove over the whole house. How are you going to attach that to Kevlar? Jimmy worked on this. Well, they did one layer of Kevlar, which is like, you know, as thick as a t-shirt. Oh, okay. So they, so they, they put Kevlar over the whole house, nailed it to, or stapled it to the studs. What was the reasoning behind that? To make the house bulletproof. That's awesome. And <laughs> because they were really, obviously ah, very wealthy. Piedmont, Oakland. Gotcha. They, they realized, <laughs> they, they figured that they knew better than asking any expert, uh-huh. which is totally antithetical to their, what they would probably tell you in terms of COVID or climate change or anything, trust the experts. They put one layer of Kevlar over their entire house and then covered it in uh, this tongue and groove wood, white oak. Yeah. One layer of Kevlar is about as bulletproof as your t-shirt. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say I mean, we've made, or I, I, I've, I've made bulletproof. I was thinking, I was like, I got to rethink my body armor because that stuff weighs like <laughs> that 80 pounds. nice. It chills just, my back at the end of the day. <laughs> exactly. It's the same thing. Like these people think they won't actually. I got it. I got it. Yeah, exactly. Just give me the green just stuff. Just give me the soldering yeah. iron. Exactly. They won't actually do the work to act, to find out what if what they're doing is correct they won't do that they go through the scientific method yeah. they just trust the science they just ignore anything else they say i have to have this hemp stuff because it's totally sustainable it's more green it's, it's more green i don't care you know what embodied energy went into it or who had to suffer to bring it to me yeah yeah is one thing to kind of extrapolate just which what, is a hippie sorry I, let me interrupt you for a second yeah, yep do you ever hear uh, Ayn Rand's quote that libertarians were the hippies of the right? 
Yes. Dave Smith talked about it yeah. recently. He brought it up. Right. And he owned it kind of. Yeah. I think that is so fucking accurate. Oh, yeah, me too. I am a hippie on the right. Yeah. And that wouldn't be a bad shirt for us to put on uh, libertytreelifestyle.com, I think. And what that means is that we actually care about human beings. Yeah. We are uh, anti-war, pro-peace. The, the entire philosophy revolves around the non-aggression principle. We want people to be, be able to make their own choices. Yeah. Right? So if... And that is what hippies kind of, you know, are all about. Everyone's, you know, just, well, I just want peace and love, man. Like, let's just all get along. Like, or as we often say, because you and I grew up, both grew up on the left, and then we ended up where we are, which is some kind of um, free market anarcho <laughs> and cap <laughs> kind of philosophy. Yeah. Small L libertarianism is, I've had this discussion with people, like, I just don't understand you could take this weird left turn. It's like, I really didn't, to be honest. I still... Like, ask, give me any question. Like, yeah. where are you on gay marriage? Don't care. Don't care at all. Where are you on personal freedoms? Like, I think as much as possible for everybody. If you are principled. Where are you in war? Totally against it. If you are a principled person and you follow your principles to the very end of where they lead, then being anti-war, being pro-peace is going to lead you to being anti-state. And that's where we are. And so or just is, like I was it, saying, like the embodied energy matters, but people suffering to also bring that those materials to your doorstep, that matters too. I don't want people to be enslaved to, right. to do what they're doing or being dominated by some outside force that they can't control. Or local labor being pushed out of a giant project so they can bring in specialists from another country to come do the work. And it's ensuing embodied carbon footprint is when we say like, I was like, I don't have an issue with this guy building this huge house. It's like, well, you don't care about the environment. I was like, well, I do actually, I do care about something like a carbon footprint, for example. I was like, and here's a perfect example of someone not sticking to that and then preaching about it afterwards is what kind of infuriates me. Oh, totally. It's like, you make your own decisions, you do whatever you want. It's like, I don't need the lecture at the end when it's built on this completely like fantasy foundation of yeah. just complete bullshit. And I think to take this to like kind of a larger kind of perspective to wrap this up is that when we see someone like the Monteros coming, I would assume this guy is highly intelligent um, seeing as he built a software startup from scratch and sold it for $580 million. Okay. I would assume the people writing the articles are very intelligent. Um, something like New York times being a very, most people too <laughs> in their own special way. It's, it's such a great kind of snapshot of the way that, that the, the elites, political elites and financial elites kind of look at the rest of us, not everyone, but this is a perfect example of just that perspective of looking at people. Cause you go like, when I read this article, like, do they, do they think we're idiots? Yes. Yes, they do. That, that they have nothing but disdain for you. When we talk about, you know, political elites in the world economic forum, the young global leaders program and all those different kind of, groups at the top of the power hierarchy that we talked about a few episodes ago. And we say like, if you take one thing away from what we're kind of laying out for you is that these people hate you. You are in their way. They view you as like, yeah, there's all these people on our planet and we have to do all these useless eaters to quote the recently deceased Henry Kissinger. Do not, do not rest in peace. I would say Yuval Harari. I was like, he died. <laughs> yeah, my hopes up there for a second. We often thought we we play the clip of Yuval Harari saying that. That's actually a quote from Henry Kissinger, who is just the epitome of the psychopathic global elite that 
hell-bent on war and destruction and getting rid of as many of these useless eaters as possible. He dedicated his entire life to it and was given the Nobel Peace Prize, by the way. I, I did hear a pretty decent defense of, uh, of Henry Kissinger. I would love to hear this. Recently. I think it was like Dave Smith or someone talking really? about it. Yeah. Um, and just that he was as evil and horrible as he was. You know, yeah. that's obvious that he was He's one of the terrible truly people. most evil human beings that ever existed. But I don't think he was as evil as Joe Biden and his administration because Henry Kissinger actually did what he did out of strategic allegiance to the United States of America. It would begrudgingly partially agree. I can see that perspective. I'll say that. Yeah. I, people, that's just, I'm repeating what someone States else said. Or What's that? For the people of the United States of America or for the, like... The power structure the of the United elites. States. Yeah. My understanding... American hegemony. I'm just trying, I'm just trying to uh, nutshell, kind of repeat what I heard someone else say because I don't really know much about Henry Kissinger, but their argument was that he was uh, an American and in favor of what was best for American people. And he may have been wrong and may have done harm, but that his goal was to put America ahead of other nations in the world. And I don't think that our elites today give a flying fuck about America. They care about themselves. And that would be the distinction, that. even though he was, you know, as him I mean, he fucking dropped Agent Orange on an entire subcontinent. Right. Um, and our allied continents. Yeah. Cambodia, Laos, both South and North Vietnam. Yeah, I could see that perspective. Um, I can kind of understand kind of taking things that direction um, where I would take issue that. Because he, he did not think that the Ukraine war was good, a good idea. Mm -hmm. So he, he wasn't just about war. Yeah. He thought that, uh, it wasn't like Lindsey Graham or John McCain. Yeah. He wasn't about, he didn't think that in, uh, in, instigating war with Russia was in America's best interest. Yeah. And he, he spoke out about that. Yeah, I could see that. I'd say his, uh, his ideology, uh, would ring true in that. I'd say his execution was fatally, no pun intended, flawed. Cause that came at the cost of, He's directly responsible for the deaths of millions and millions of people. He's, he's obviously burning in hell. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not saying he's not. <laughs> Just saying you could do worse. There's lower levels of hell, maybe. Nah, you like him. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a Kissinger guy. <laughs> is the point bringing this up is, again, if you take anything from, away from when we talk about these, with Henry Kissinger to all the way to, you know, to significantly lesser degree, the Montero's couple, uh, couple in their, you know, climate activism. And you read it, like, it's just rife with hypocrisy. And like, it's just, none, none of this kind of stands to reason with itself. This article, I mean, the headline alone, already I got like red flags flying up the flagpole. And if you are asking in your mind to repeat myself, it's like, do you, do these people think that we're just idiots? Like they're just, that we can't figure this stuff out? Yes, the answer to that is yes. They have nothing but disdain for you. And that is what they think of you. And when you see how many people would read this article and take away the narrative that was kind of spoon fed to them, I hate to say it, sometimes I go like, in a lot of ways they're right. And it pains me to say it.